last week we uh, we we talked about uh, the the starting verses of one of Jesus's sermons, one of his most famous sermons uh, in Matthew. It's uh, labeled as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in uh, our gospel here in Luke, uh, he describes it as a level place. We believe it's the same thing, but uh, we're, we're calling it the Sermon on the Level Place. So uh, as we look at that, I'm going to invite you guys to find your way to Luke chapter 6. And uh, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we talked about uh, Jesus kind of describing two different paths, two basic courses that, that people can walk on in life. And so we have uh, the blessed path of a disciple, of someone who has uh, fully given their life to Jesus and has said, Jesus, whatever it is that you want from me, that's what I want. And so uh, the radical path of the disciple, the, the one that is following Jesus, is uh, a blessed one. And Jesus talked about that in all of what that meant uh, last week. And he also talked about a cursed path a path that is a dangerous path and and one that he was warning people, look out, this is not the way that you want to live. And so he was describing that path as one where people were laughing, where people were full and not hungry, something that we would probably want to choose for ourselves. And if you are totally confused by that, go back on our website or on YouTube and watch last week's sermon because it made more sense when we had all that time to talk about it last week. But Uh, This week, uh, as we pick up where Jesus left off, uh, we're going to pick up on where Jesus turns to kind of address the disciples' ethical character, uh, the calling that that God has put on people's lives. He calls us to a new law. He calls us to uh, follow him and to love people the way that he loves people. That's what we're going to talk about today. The way that God loves people is the same way that he expects us to love other people. And this is an impossible task for us to do apart from Christ. So I'm just going to warn you guys now, totally honest up front, this is going to be one where we all kind of go, oh, yeah, I I can work on that. Yeah, I probably should work on that. Hopefully uh, you experience that because if not, I'm just a crazy person that experienced it this week as I was reading and studying this stuff. So you guys just pat me on the back afterwards. Even if you don't experience any of the conviction that I experienced this week, just tell me you did because it'll make me feel better about how God's been working on me all week. So uh, we're going to read the entire passage together and uh, get a a good idea of what Jesus is going to be talking about, and then we're going to go back and chew on it and pick some parts out uh, a little bit at a time. So we're going to pick up in verse 27 and read down through verse 36. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Let's pray together this evening, church. 
God, we thank you that, God, that we can gather together, that we have the opportunity to worship and to celebrate and to sing about how great you are and, and, and remember all that you've done for us, but God, also to humble ourselves and our lives before your word. God, we come to your word each week. God, each moment, each time we pick it up, God, we come to you praying that you would continue to shape us. God, that you would continue to refine us and make us more and more into the image of the person that you want us to be. God, make us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. So God, as we come to you this evening, God, as we come to these verses where Jesus has an incredible call for those who identify themselves as his disciples. God, we God, we need your work in our lives. God, we need you to to speak to us. God, we need you to be the one that makes these uh, incredibly difficult commands that Jesus is is sharing with us tonight. God, that that you are the one that makes those possible. So God, we pray that you would do your work in our lives as only you can do. And we offer our lives to you as 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 rough clay to be shaped as you choose. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray now. Amen. All right, well, we're going to look at a couple of different sections. And the first section that we see here is Jesus describing what what I can only describe as a supernatural love. This is love that does not, we don't see it anywhere else in the world. This is something that comes from heaven, from God, and God alone. So we're going to look at these first few verses, verses 27 through 31 that we just read there that talks about how uh, we're to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, to, to pray for those who mistreat us. And what we see here in these verses is that Jesus has thoroughly turned everything that the disciples uh, understood and expected coming into this moment between last week as he was talking about how the path of the disciple is the one that, that kind of looks difficult and the path of danger is the one that most of us would, would naturally choose on our own, the one where people are full and, and taken care of and, and have no needs. That's the dangerous one. Now, this week, we see Jesus continuing on in that same uh, sermon, in that same moment, in, in probably a span of five minutes. Jesus has shared all of what we talked about last week, and now this week is talking about how we are blessed if we love our enemies, how we are blessed if we do good to those who hate us, how we are blessed if we pray for those who mistreat us. So in this five-minute span, Jesus has, has shared these verses that we read last week and this week and has totally turned what the disciples had in their mind of, of what they were supposed to do, totally turned it on their heads. It's unfortunate for us as we look at these verses that standing up here speaking English, I only have one word to describe what Jesus is talking about here. Because in English, we only have one word for love, right? We love God with the same word that we love our spouse. I I love God and I love my spouse. I love my spouse in the same way that I love my friends. I love my friends in the same way that I love pizza. We love all of these things and we have one word for all of them. Well, good news The Greeks had more than one word for that. So we're going to give a little bit of nuance to some of these ideas that the Greek language had for love. See, as Jesus was talking about love here, what he was not talking about was storge. Storge was the Greek word that, that talked about a natural affection for something. He also did not command his disciples to, to, to love with the word love that they used, which was eros. Eros was a romantic love, the love that you would have for your spouse. He didn't command that we love our enemies romantically. He didn't command philea, 
Philea is the word for brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brother, brotherly love. He, he didn't describe brotherly love, that, that we would love like a, a friend would love another friend. What he described was the word agape love. Agape love is an unconditional, unnatural, sacrificial love that, that kind of reflects the way that God loves us. This love is not a love that is motivated by merit. It's not something that is deserved, and so we love and we give and we, we, we respond generously because someone deserves it. See, all those other loves come quite naturally for us, right? If someone loves me as a friend, I'm likely to love them back. If someone loves me, my, my wife loves me, I'm, I'm likely to have those same feelings of, of love back for her. If we have love in these different ways, well, those make sense, but, but agape love is the one that, that kind of makes us go, huh, sometimes, right? Because agape love is greater than our feelings, what Jesus is describing here is often a love in spite of the way that we feel, in spite of the way that we desire to act in our hearts. We choose to love. It's a, it's a love of the will. It's a deliberate love that is rooted in choice. I'm going to love you. I have made the decision that I'm going to love you, and so I'm going to express that in a way that, that may not naturally make sense. This call to the unnatural heights of supernatural, of, of God love, of agape love, and loving our enemies the way that Jesus describes and commands here in these verses, we, we see it in a couple of different unnatural ways that I want to point out. The first thing that we see, that the first unnatural thing that we see about this love that Jesus is commanding from his disciples is that it commands unnatural deeds. Jesus commanded, he said, do good to those who hate you. So let's, let's think about that for a minute. Imagine someone in your mind that just hates you. Maybe it's a, a teacher that has just had it out for you, class after class, quiz after quiz, right? Nobody else experienced that when they were in school. You young people, you guys, you guys don't see that, right? Nobody's nodding at me. All right, maybe I was the only one that felt like my teacher had it out for me. It's because I was homeschooled and mom was my teacher. So... Maybe your teacher has it out for you. Maybe you have a boss or a coworker that just, man, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't matter what you do, they just seem to hate you time and time and time again. What Jesus is commanding here is do good to those people that seem like they just pile on time after time after time. Do good to those who hate you. This is an unnatural exercise for us to even sit here and think about tonight because doing good to someone who is is acting evil towards us, who is, who is acting unkindly towards us, who hates us. It just doesn't make sense, right? It's an unnatural deed for us to be commanded to do good to those who hate us. The next thing Jesus says in these is, is he commands unnatural words, not only unnatural deeds, but also unnatural words. He says, bless those who curse you in verse 28. See, this idea has no other precedent anywhere else that I can think of other than where Jesus pointed it out and said, bless those who curse you. And this is an incredible idea. Someone is piling on you, is, is just tearing you apart, is, is being evil towards you. What Jesus says is, is, be kind in return. Bless those who curse you. Respond with a heartfelt blessing no matter what these people say or do to you. Finally, he, he also commands unnatural prayers. Verse 28, he also says, pray for those who mistreat you. See, this is, this is kind of a key turning point for us, right? Because praise God, it, 
it may feel unnatural for us to to say kind things to someone who is just lobbing insults at us. It may feel really unnatural to do kind things for those who do evil towards us, but but when we pray for our enemies, when we pray for those who mistreat us, it is truly impossible for us to hate someone and truly pray for them at the same time. See, this is the turning point. This is where we can start to see, ah, oh, there's a there's a glimmer of possibility in this. There's a glimmer of hope in this as Jesus is commanding these things to us. See, no one's enemies, no, to, to love someone's enemies does not appeal to the emotions. This isn't something that Jesus is saying, guys, try real hard, and, and, and if you feel like it, love these people that are, that are evil towards you, that, that, that insult you, that, that are just miserable towards you. It's not appealing to our emotions. What he's appealing to is our will. Jesus didn't command his followers to feel a certain way towards their enemies. What he commanded is to act in a certain way towards their enemies. See, emotions can be elicited, but they can't be commanded. We can't control our emotions, but what we can control is the way that we respond to people, right? R.H. Stein said this in a, a really cool way as I was studying this week. He says, often loving feelings follow loving actions, much like a caboose follows an engine. Jesus' commands, however, are addressed to the engine of the will and not the caboose of feelings. If we choose to obey what God tells us to do, what Jesus is saying here, if you choose to, to act in kindness, to act in love, to act in blessings towards those enemies, towards those who hate you, the feelings can come later. But he's not telling us to feel it. He's telling us, just do it. I wore my Callaway shirt, not my Nike shirt today, but that would have been good, right? The next two illustrations that Jesus continues on pointing to here is, is a picture of being vulnerable. When someone hits you, turn the other cheek and let them hit the other cheek as well. When someone takes your outer garment, when someone takes your coat, give them the shirt off of your back as well. What Jesus is talking about here is, is not standing on the street corner with a sign that says, free money and free clothes, please come punch me in the face. Like he, he, He's not commanding us to go out and just be punching bags. What he is saying, though, is that the ministry of rejection, that the, that the context of what we're called to in life is, is one that sometimes it's not going to be liked. Sometimes it's not going to be appreciated. Sometimes we may find ourselves as the victims of attack, just like we talked about last week, right? As we talked about how Jesus said to his disciples, guys, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. They're going to hate you. They're, they're going to reject you because they're not ultimately rejecting you, but but they're rejecting you because you look like me, because you sound like me, because you talk like me. Guys, we follow a God who was not perfectly loved by everyone. He was rejected by many. He was, he was killed by those that, that hated him. So if our goal is to act like Jesus does, to, to talk like Jesus does, we identify ourselves as Christians. That word means little Christs. It means that we look like and we sound like and we act like Jesus did. So if we sound like and act like Jesus did, we're going to be rejected sometimes like Jesus was. But what Jesus is saying here is not to allow ourselves to, to be beaten and, and robbed and rejected. What he's saying is time and time and time again, if we will walk in the path that, that he's calling us to walk, if we will live the way that he's calling us to live, there is a, a danger of rejection there. It requires being vulnerable again and again and again. 
See, there are missionaries around the world who, who put themselves in the way of danger time after time after time because being a missionary, taking the news of Jesus to the context that they're called to, it's, it's inherently risky. It's inherently dangerous. Maybe they are in a place where their lives can be taken for their faith or, or for the way that they are speaking out for, for what God has said. Maybe it's not that their lives will be taken. Maybe it's that their comfort will be taken. Maybe it's that they will be criticized socially. That's something that, that maybe we can resonate with a little bit more. That, that perhaps it will make you unpopular if you stand up for the things that God tells you to stand up for. The point is that, that being the person that Jesus calls us to be causes us, it requires us to be vulnerable and to put our necks out there time and time and time again. And it doesn't matter if our physical comfort is challenged. It doesn't matter if you are smacked on the cheek. You continue to give. You continue to, to allow yourself to be vulnerable to that rejection because what Jesus has called us to is more important. The risk being taken, the risk of being totally exposed is necessary for us as we follow in the way that Jesus has called us to live. There's two different examples of this in the New Testament that, that I think are worth noting for us because, see, Paul constantly exposed himself to great danger for the sake of the gospel. Time and time and time again, Paul went into danger as everyone else was running away from it. He was the reason why riots broke out in these different cities at times. He was the reason. He was right smack dab in the middle of danger at times. But there were also occasions where the church sent him away for his protection. If you look at Acts 16 and Acts 17, you'll see the church saying, no, it's, it's time for you to go because God has more work for you to do, and if you stay here, they're going to kill you. See, Paul sometimes realized that it was prudent for him to protect himself for the sake of what he was able to do moving forward. On the other hand, Stephen, in the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gave his life to stand up for what he believed in. He gave his life, and as he was giving his life, as he was standing for Christ and preached an incredible sermon leading up to his death, standing boldly for Christ, you know what he did? As these people are throwing heavy rocks at him and beating him with rocks to the point where he would, uh, in, a, in a moment, he would die, he cried out to God. He, he, he prayed that God would forgive his enemies, that, that he forgave his enemies in the same way he it's kind of a cool picture. It mirrors the way that, that Jesus did that same thing on the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, as he's being killed for his faith, also says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, what we see here in all of this is that Jesus is saying that there are things that are more important than money. There are things that are more important than safety. Sometimes standing up for Jesus will cost you something. And what he's saying is, that's okay. There's an eternal reality that is far more valuable than that coat or that shirt that was taken. There is an eternal reality that is far more important than the comfort and the peace that people may desire. The reader is urged to give up comfort, to give up possessions. As Jesus is calling us, Jesus was calling those disciples on the side of the mountain years ago. He's calling people to give up their comfort, to give up their possessions, and he's saying it in front of a group of people that, Many of them we've read in the previous weeks have done just that, right? Peter and Andrew and James and John, you remember the fishermen that Jesus called to follow him. You know what they did? They, 
They left comfort. They left financial security. They left the family business as fishermen to go and to follow Jesus. You remember we talked about this with Matthew, right, with Levi. He was also fairly financially stable, fairly comfortable. He was hated as a tax collector, but, but he had more money than he knew what to do with, and he left it all when Jesus said, follow me. So as he urges the crowd, he's also standing there in front of people looking at people like Peter and people like James and John and people like Matthew that are there that have made the sacrifice. And he's calling us to make the sacrifice as well. Guys, there's more important than comfort. There's things that are more important than comfort. There's things that are more important than, than living in peace at all times. If we keep going, we see verse 31. We see what is often described as the golden rule. He says here in our, our passage, he says, treat others the same way that you want them to treat you. This golden rule is essentially another way of saying, love your neighbor as yourself, right? We've talked about that. We've, we've heard that a few other times before. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This love of one's neighbor does not uh, simply involve feelings as we saw in these verses. It it goes beyond simple reciprocity of, of, of giving back to them what they give to you. Jesus is saying there's no ulterior motive here. He's saying simply be sacrificial. Give of yourself for the sake of someone else. Give of what you have because if you put yourself in someone else's shoes, if you empathize with what they're going through, you want to be treated the way that you're going to treat them. Simply motivated by kindness. Simply motivated by God's abundant love for us. The way that all of this makes sense, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more at the end. We have been loved by God in an incredible way. Now we get to show that to other people. Verses 32 through 34, he, he turns the attention a little bit. And instead of talking about the way that we're called to love, what he describes here in these verses is how the world thinks of love. Let's read those verses again so they are fresh in our minds. Verse 32, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. What Jesus is doing here, he's, he's discouraging any self-congratulation. Look at me, I'm going to pat myself on the back because I loved somebody who loved me. I gave to somebody who was going to ultimately give it back, was going to repay the favor one day. He's not telling us to earn chits and, 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 and do a favor for somebody so that they can do a favor for us. What he's saying is, give generously. So you love someone that's ultimately going to love you back. Great. Some of the most evil people in the world have, have loved in that sense, right? There are people throughout history, we can look back, incredibly evil people. Hitler had friends, Right? Hitler had people that followed him that were willing to go, I, I love you, and, and he probably loved them back because they met a need. They, they filled a role. They served a purpose. Good for you. You love people that love you back. What Jesus is saying here to his disciples is that we should love with an exceptional love. 
that love is rewarded because it, it marks out the presence of the children of God when we love with an exceptional love, when we love differently than the world loves, when we love sacrificially in a way that the world can't understand. God himself is kind to the ungrateful and to the selfish. Let's see if we can make sense of this here for just a minute. Let's, let's put some real practical words behind this. See, I was thinking about all of this as I was studying this week, and, and as, as a parent, as a dad, I play lots of different roles from time to time at home. See, there are times where I get to be uh, dad as teacher. I get to be dad as doctor when one of my kids gets hurt. I get to be coach to my kids at times. I get to be the detective to find out, all right, what really happened here? Who's really at fault here? And sometimes after I play detective, I get to play judge and jury because once we figure out what happened, there are times when sentencing has to happen, when, when, when justice has to be dealt and, and, and punishment has to come, right? See, there are times when, when I get to play judge and jury that I decide that a child is going to receive grace and not punishment. It's an idea that we've tried to, to teach our kids, to communicate to our kids that, that they understand these are the rules and, and if I break the rules, then I deserve punishment. We, we try to make that very clear but there are times where I'll sit and I'll talk with one of them and I'll say, what did you do wrong? And, and we'll, we'll talk about that. And what happens when you do something wrong, when you disobey, when you hit your brother or your sister? When you, Well, I get punished. We'll talk about that and then, and, and then we'll use that as a launching point to explain that, you know, we, we sometimes deserve to be punished by God. We all deserve to be punished by God. We all sin against a perfect God who has perfect standards for us. But but you know what? God shows us grace sometimes. God chooses to forgive. God chose to, to show grace and mercy, to, to forgive me. And so I'm going to, in turn, teach you what that looks like, and I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to show mercy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe your debt away. You're not going to get punished for this one. My kids, most, most of the time, that kid gets excited, and you know how the rest of the kids respond? Wait a second. That's not fair. No, 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 no. They hit me. You got to hit them now. We have this kind of worldly reality inside of us that that we want justice. We want evil to be repaid with evil, right? See what I see in my kids, I I see sometimes in myself too. There are times where I see something that happens in the world and I go, "Um, excuse me, that's not fair." I don't like that. My kids will, will, well, that's not fair. Why aren't they getting punished? That's, that's not fair. We have this idea of justice and fairness that's built into us, right? We expect people who do evil to us to be repaid fairly and justly. The worldly love that, that Jesus is talking about here in these verses, it wants to see justice. It wants to see evil repaid with evil. He wants to see actions repaid in due kind. But you know what, guys? Part of the reason that we're here tonight is because there are times where God doesn't choose to repay in due kind. God's not always fair, right? That may be the best news that we can talk about tonight. God isn't fair. Because if God was fair, you know what? We're all in a lot of trouble. Like, that's a, that's a bad place for us to be. When my kids say, that's not fair, when I, when I look at God sometimes and go, that's not fair, 
thank goodness God is not fair to us, right? Because if God was fair, I deserve to be punished eternally, to pay forever for the sins, for the the treason that I've committed against him as the holy God of the universe, the the, the king of everything that, that has the right to set the rules, and I have broken his rules, so I deserve punishment for that. You deserve punishment for that, but you know what? God's not fair sometimes. Thank God he is not fair. We are eternally grateful for that, and you know what? we get to show that same kindness, that same generosity, that same benevolence to other people because God wasn't fair to us. God didn't give us what we deserved sometimes. And what he's telling us when he's saying, love those who hate you, bless those who curse you, be, be kind to those who don't deserve it. He's saying, act like I do towards you. He kind of wraps all this up in the last couple of verses. Let's look at Jesus' conclusion to this idea in verses 35 and 36. These verses, he says, Love your enemies and do good. Lend and expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You will be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. See, Jesus summed this idea up a little bit later, a couple of years later, as he was teaching these same disciples, these same 12 men that that followed him for a span of about three and a half years. In John 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's what Jesus is commanding here. Did you catch it in the middle of that verse? He says, even as I have loved you. Guys, we don't, we don't love the way that the world loves. That's no credit to us. There, there's nothing different in us if we love the way that everybody else out there loves. What Jesus is saying is, hey, if you are mine, remember, we, we're, we're still in that same conversation of the, the, the point that Jesus was sharing with us last week. There's two paths. If you are a disciple, if you are the person that says, I want to follow Jesus, I, I want to do everything that we, that he, the way that he tells me to, I am his. What he's saying is, don't do it like everybody else does. You're not supposed to just love people like, like the rest of the world loves people. I'm telling you, love the world like I love the world. And it's going to look radically different. You can act like everybody else does, or you can act the way that I do towards you. This is the church's new law. This is the way that we're commanded to deal with each other and to deal even with our enemies, even with the people out there in the world that, that just absolutely don't deserve it. And just a few hours later, after what Jesus said there in John 13, to, to love as I have loved you, just hours after that, Jesus went to the cross and showed those disciples what true love looked like. Romans chapter 5 talks about this idea. It gives a beautiful and clear picture of the love of God that, that Jesus was going to show them on the cross right after he said what he said. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, six through 10, he says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were still, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What those verses are telling us, I... I I guess I shouldn't have favorite verses because they're all really good. I love those verses because what they talk about is is the reality that that I don't deserve God's love. You don't deserve God's love. It says that even while we were still sinners, even while we were enemies of God, God loved us enough to send his son to die for evil people like me, for enemies like me, for enemies like you. God demonstrates his love for us. And even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's bring all of that idea and bring it back to what Jesus is telling us in Luke chapter 6. To love one's enemies is to be like Jesus. When we do good to our enemies, we're like Jesus. When we bless those who curse us, we're acting like Jesus. When we pray for those who abuse us, We're acting like Jesus. I know. I get it. I know the thought that's running through your head because it's run through my head this week. That's like crazy talk, right? It seems totally impossible, totally crazy at face value to hear this, to say, love the people that hate you. Be kind to the people that just continue to beat you down day after day, week after week, year after year. There are people that, that, that there, there are faces that came to mind for me as I was reading this, and, and I'll just confess now, I have a lot of work to do in this area. I reckon that, that we probably, if, if I asked you guys to, to raise hands, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I, I think there's probably a lot of us that have work to do in all of this, right? It seems totally impossible, totally crazy for us to, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us in ourselves. This is impossible. In our own strength, this is absolutely crazy. But through the new birth that we have in Christ, through the new spirit that is alive within us, we have a new nature. Second Peter chapter 1 talks about this. He says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It says that, that we are now partakers of the divine nature, that, 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 that what is at work in God is at work in us, that the Holy Spirit that, that is God lives inside of us when we give our lives to him. So the good news and the bad news, the, the bad news is you're not able to do this. You are not able to walk this road on your own. You're right. It is impossible and crazy what Jesus is telling us to do. But he's also telling us you don't have to because I am able to do it through you. I am the one that's able to do that in you. If we consider ourselves to be true followers of Christ, this radical life, this incredibly crazy path that he's calling us to walk on, this is the path of a disciple. This is the path that, that, that we signed up for when we raised our hand one day and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you walked forward down an aisle. Maybe you just made that decision between you and God, and, and, and you didn't do anything in some 
public church setting. But hopefully you made that decision one day. And if you made that decision, this is the path that you signed up for. This is the path of what that looks like. See, God didn't call us to pray a prayer and ask him to forgive us and then just go do whatever we wanted. What he called us to is follow me. Follow me. Be like me. Be little versions of me that go out there in the world. That's what the disciples were, and that's what he calls all of us, too. The disciples were not 12 men. The disciples are a whole bunch of people throughout history that have said, I want to I follow Jesus. I'm a disciple. You're a disciple. And that radical path that he's calling these disciples to is the radical path that he calls me to and calls you to. So... We're at the end. Let's see how we're doing. At the end of every nine weeks, at the end of every semester, the kids get a report card, right? It's reckoning time. You find out how hard they've studied, how well they've done. Let's see how we've done. I want you to determine a grade. I want you to, in your mind or in your notes, determine and decide for yourself how you're doing in these areas so that we can look back in just a minute and and figure out where God's calling us to get better. So, report card time. Are there some who you hate? Do you, through some perverse twist, imagine that your hate is justified? Are there people that you hate, and do you think that your hate is justified, that that the way that you treat them is justified because of perhaps the way that they treat you or, or some other reason? Do you feel like your hate is justified? If so, you are in trouble. Christ isn't ruling your life. Next question, are you doing good to those who hate you or evil? If Christ is ruling in your heart, that answer should be good. Are you blessing those who curse you? If not, Jesus isn't on the throne in your life every moment of every day like he deserves to be, like he should be. Are you praying for those who mistreat you? If so, you get an A. You're like Jesus. So how are we doing? Any honor roll students out there? I'll just tell you guys from the stage, I am not an honor roll student. There are no A's and no B's on my report card tonight. There is certainly room for improvement in this. I think all of us probably have room for improvement in this, right? But, but, there's always a but, right? There's always a but with God. Here's the bad news, but it's not your job to be good enough. It's not your job to get all A's because I know someone who did. God, Jesus, the the, the one that the 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 reason why we are here, the the object of our faith, He did. And if we try hard really, really hard on our own, we are going to get D's and we are going to get F's and we are going to fail at what Jesus has called us to do. But we have supernatural power available to us. Don't leave here thinking that you need to try harder. Don't leave here thinking you need to give it your best shot. Don't sit here tonight thinking, all right, I'm going to Give that coworker a hug, no matter how big of a jerk they are. I'm just going to figure out a way to, to, to try real hard and, and grin and bear it and, and give them the love that God tells me to love them with. This isn't a 
grin and bear it. This isn't a, oh, I'm going to do it. What this is, is full reliance on the Spirit. Is full reliance on, God, I cannot do that on my own. But I know that you can do it in me. That you can do it through me. So our prayers as we go home, after we've looked at that report, guard, yeah, F, F, D, uh, probably an F. Just give myself a D to feel better. Here's our prayers. God, show me more of who you are so that, that like you showed me love in, in loving me and sending Jesus to the cross for me. And, and even while I was an enemy, sacrificing your only son so that I could be forgiven. God, show me more of that love. God, help me understand more of what that love means so that I can show that love to other people. God, help me to realize how you have loved me so that I can love others in the same way. It's an incredible call. It's an impossible call when we try on our own. But we don't have to try on our own. The Holy Spirit is at work in us, that if we will give our lives to him, if we will say, God, I am yours and I am a disciple and I want to walk your path and understand who you want me to be and and be that person, God is able to do through us what we will never be able to do on our own. We're going to pray in just a second as we finish up. If you feel the need to, to talk with somebody, come find me after the service is over. Come find our prayer team that's going to be over here in the corner. They would love, 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 love to talk with you about what this looks like, to, to walking that path that we are called to as disciples. Go find somebody. Come talk to them. It's an incredible life. It's an incredible call that God gives to us. But guys, let me tell you too, it is absolutely worth it. Let's pray. God, we... (laughs) God, there is no possible way that any of us are are strong-willed enough to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to, to muster enough strength and courage and natural ability to do all of this stuff on our own. God, it's impossible on our own. But God, we know that it's not our job to do it on our own. That you, in your incredible power, in your incredible work in us, God, you are able to accomplish things that are never possible on our own. God, we pray that that as we live as disciples, God, as we walk this path that Jesus is teaching us about, God, we pray that you would work in us, that you would, would put your spirit within us and would accomplish what only you can do. God, we offer ourselves to you. God, we are your disciples. We are your servants. And God, we pray that you would do your work in us that only you can do. God, help us to love the unlovable. God, help us to to bless those who persecute us. God, to to show kindness to those who hate us. To turn the other cheek and to give generously time and time and time again, even when other people don't deserve it, because God, we didn't deserve it when you loved us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us.